Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. It's Mike. We're going to try something a little different for a few weeks here on Carefree Highway Revisited in that we're going to break up the episodes into two parts. So the episode you're going to be hearing today will be part one of my interview with Gary Luck from Canberra, Australia. We'll be talking about Dreamland. And then next week, one week from now, you'll be hearing the second part of that interview. So we're going to try that for a couple of months. Uh, and if you like it, then please let me know. If you don't like it, please let me know that too. But I wanted to experiment with something after talking to a few people in my brain trust, and we'll see how it goes. Okay, on with the show. Thanks. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? <laughs> of need when you can't find anyone. You seem to be much better off now. There's a rainbow number one. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates Gordon Lightfoot's music song by song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan from Canberra, Australia, Gary Luck. Gary, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's good to have you. How did you first get into Gordon Lightfoot's music? Well, it's a long time ago. I um, I was a young man sitting on the sand hills of Port Ferry, just outside Warrnambool, in uh, just west of Melbourne, uh, listening to my little transistor radio. And early morning rain came on, and I thought, "Wow, I like that song." And then, would you believe? Shortly after that, on the same station, I think they played Four Strong Winds, which. I understand Lightfoot was impressed by as well, the great Ian and Sylvia Tyson song that uh, he then became uh, great friends with, I think, and still is. And a couple of years passed by and Peter, Paul, Mary then sang, um, that's what you get for loving me, I think. And I was under the impression then, just being a young kid who didn't know very much at all, that either Bob Dylan had written these songs for Peter, Paul, and Mary, or they'd written them themselves, and, and that I'd never really heard of Gordon Lightfoot. It wasn't really until 1969, I'm watching my little black and white television that my parents had in their place in Melbourne, and the Johnny Cash show came on, and Lightfoot was on that, singing with Johnny Cash, uh, That's What You Get For Loving Me. And I thought, wow, so that's the singer-songwriter, Gordon Lightfoot. And a couple of more years passed by, of course, we got into the early 70s and the mid-70s, and then by that time, he was making a name for himself as a real singer-songwriter and coming up with those three big hits. And by the time I'd heard if you could read my mind and sundown and of course the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald i was well and truly hooked that was it oh man and what a great way to get hooked by listening to those songs and it's absolutely true that the relationship between ian and sylvia on the one hand and then lightfoot on the other had kind of a musical cascade in both ways i mean they used yeah. his songs and then he was very impressed by their work and i'm sure that it was 
inspirational to him because of all the things that he wrote that were so truly Canadian and that really represented that country so well. What do you like about Lightfoot's music, if you had to sum it up in a couple of sentences? Oh, the fact that he uses my initials. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty flattering, I would agree. Yeah. I'm out of joking, of course. I say that sometimes at some of our concerts that we've been doing, and it, it goes over most people's heads. You know, I say, well, God and Life and I, we've got two things in common. We have the same initials. But to answer your question seriously, Mike, Look, it's a total package. I just love the way he writes, you know, the melodies, the lyrics, the intonation that he uses, the, the meter and rhyme, and the arrangements, these wonderful arrangements that he's been able to put together with all these fabulous musicians that he's got. I mean, he really is, to me, the complete package. I, I just love all his songs. And it reminds me of that quote, was of Bob Dylan who said, I haven't heard a Gordon Lightfoot song yet that I don't like. And then he went on to say, Whenever I hear a Gordon Lightfoot song, I wish it would never end. And I feel like that. I'm not comparing myself to Gordon Lightfoot or Bob Dylan, obviously, but that's how I feel about his music. That's pretty high praise. I mean, the quotation from Dylan is one that I heard when I was a kid. And yeah. listening to all of the stuff that Dylan had done over the years and then yeah. having him say that about Lightfoot, I thought, if someone as remarkable as Dylan can think that Lightfoot is remarkable. We're talking about quite a guy here. Absolutely. And I believe that Dylan, only recently in the last few years, somebody asked him, who were his favorite songwriters? And I think he named four. And if I can remember this correctly, I think it was Randy Newman, Jimmy Buffett, John Prine, and Gordon Lightfoot. And then I got to thinking about, you know, when Dylan got the uh, Nobel Prize for Literature, I'm thinking if they were to ever award the Nobel Prize for Literature again to a singer-songwriter, wouldn't it be great if it was Gordon Lightfoot? Oh, I can't imagine what other singer-songwriter it would be because of not only the endurance that he's had over the years, but the fact that he's straddled the folk and the country and the pop and the rock styles in a way that I don't know that anybody else has except Dylan himself. Absolutely. And he's just written such an immense body of work as well. I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how many songs he's written. I think it's well over 400, but I know there's been at least 250 that have been published. And the body of work is just a mess. In fact, I was only reading the other day a book of poetry from uh, somebody. I, I bought this online from somewhere in America, I Wish You Good Spaces, which is, came out in 1977, so that they could actually add to this and probably triple the size of it. But um, I Wish You Good Spaces by Gordon Lightfoot, edited by uh, Suzanne Hollis Schutz, I hope I pronounced the name correctly. And, you know, it's, it's just poetry. It's just they've taken what they thought were the best pieces from his songs at that time and they've put them into this book and they've called it a, a book of poetry. And it's just amazing. Well, I mean, I think maybe the greatest tribute is that the lyrics stand as poems. I mean, obviously, when you have the music added to them, you get a completely different synthesis and you get an entirely new, more beautiful creation. But if all he had done was just to write the lyrics, I mean, that would have been enough of an artistic impact. That's how good a writer he is. Absolutely. He has an amazing way with words. I find what I like about his writing so much is that he has this actual brevity of words, but he just nails it every time. But he also leaves space for the listener to sort of try and connect the dots and make up their own mind as to what he is really on about, what he's really saying. 
you know, at first look, it might be seen quite obvious. And I guess we're going to go on to discuss this later on with Dreamland. But looking at all his songs and, and, and reading a lot of his lyrics now, he does leave room for the reader to uh, go in various directions. He's unbelievably skilled in that he doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, he's not a storyteller in the sense that he gives the beginning, middle and end. He is, I mean, to use another quotation from his lyrics, he's a painter passing through, meaning that he's giving you a picture and he's letting you make up what you want to of it or make whatever conclusions you want with the work that he's doing. We'll be right back to our conversation with Gary Luck about Dreamland, but first a word from a podcast partner or two. The world at war. Two lives in the balance. Who will live to see another day? The leader of the free world or a man falsely accused of treason? In this new dramatic audio series, A Date with Death, Helen Meeker has to make that choice, and time is running out. Assigned to exposing an espionage ring operating on American and British soil, Helen must outwit bank robbers, avoid booby traps, and even have dinner with a dead man. When the date with death is over, who's picking up the check? Ace Collins' best-selling World War II novella, A Date with Death, comes to life in this production by the Long Highway Players. Available on Acast and coming soon to a podcast feed near you, A Date with Death is a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. Before we get into Dreamland, I wanted to ask you, have you seen Lightfoot in concert? What was the experience like? Did you see him in Australia or another place? Well, yes, look, I have seen him in concert, but I had to travel to America to do it. His one and only tour of Australia was in September 1974, and he did come to Melbourne, and I was living in Melbourne at the time, but would you believe it, that two-week period that he was touring both Australia and New Zealand, I was trying to move from Melbourne to Canberra. I had another life and a different job altogether. And so I missed him and I always deeply regretted that. So in 2001, I wrote to his management team and I said, look, I'm coming across to America. I want to see a Gordon Lightfoot concert. And uh, the concert we chose was one in Anaheim at Sun Theatre, just out of Anaheim. So my wife and I were going to make a bit of a holiday out of it. We're going to go to Disneyland and do all those sorts of things as well. And I said, but I'm not coming to the concert. This is what I said to uh, Barry Harvey or to his agent in LA, I forget who it was, unless I can meet him after the show. I'm not going to travel all this way unless I can actually get to meet him. Sure. So they said, oh, that'll be all right. A few weeks passed by. And they said, look, why don't you just turn up at the box office at three o'clock on the Saturday afternoon and there'll be a little package there waiting for you. So I said to my wife, yeah, well, I'll believe this when it happens. <laughs> and, and, and of course... We did. We'd been to Disneyland in the morning. We we turned up three o'clock in the afternoon to Sun Theatre box office, and there was this package waiting for me, which was a VIP passes into the um, VIP room after the show. Yeah, we went to the show, and Sun Theatre was packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, about I think it had a capacity of about two and a half, three thousand people, all ages there, from teenagers right through to people 
in the 90s to lots of folks like me and my age at the time. And then after the show, we went into the VIP room and about 10 past midnight, he came out, he talked to uh, some of his minders and a few other people, nodded to some others. And then I think it was Rick Haynes mm-hmm. pointed him in my direction. And I couldn't believe it. We, my wife and I were on our own. We're standing about 30 meters away or 30 yards away mm-hmm. across the other side of the room. And he started to make a beeline for us. Wow. And I thought my heart started pounding. <laughs> my God, I'm going to meet God at Lightfoot. And for, would you believe from about five yards out, he put out his hand, and I, I'll never forget this. He said, hi, I'm Gordon Lightfoot. I believe you want to speak with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about a lack of pretense. I mean, that is just so great. I mean, I will probably never get that chance, but I can imagine you said your heart stopped beating. I think mine would probably jump out of my chest if I had the chance to do that. Well, it was it was quite amazing. It was a really surreal experience, Mike. I, Talking about your heart jumping out of your chest. I, I can remember my, when he said, hi, I'm Gordon Lightfoot. I believe you want to speak with me. I think my mouth went up and down in the same spot for about 20 seconds before anything came out. I was so nervous. I couldn't even remember my own name. And all he wanted to do, getting back to the tour in 74, all he wanted to do was talk about what a fabulous time he had in Australia during the tour. And all I wanted to do was to talk him into coming back down again. And he hasn't done that since. Well, I did talk him into it, but would you believe a year later, he got very, very ill, as you know, with that aortic aneurysm that he had that nearly killed him and sidelined him for about two and a half years. And apparently on doctor's advice, they said that he really shouldn't undertake any really, really long trips for a long time. And you can't get much further away than Australia. So uh, unfortunately, it it never happened. Well, okay. You you made your pitch, but circumstances intervening. But that must have been an amazing show. And, you know, I'm very glad you had a chance to to experience that. It was an amazing show and he was fantastic. But I've just got to add this little bit. I've got to say that I've never met such a, a more humble, gentle man. Would you believe it was about 10 past 12, 20 to 1 in the morning. He gave me 30 minutes of his time. This is after being on stage for two hours. Would you believe he apologized to me for having to leave to catch the tour bus to go down to San Diego that morning because they had another show on at Humphreys by the Bay later that day. And I couldn't believe, why is Gordon Lightfoot apologizing to me? He doesn't have to do that. I should be apologizing to him for taking up so much of his time. Talk about graciousness, you know, that he was able to be that warm about it. And so many artists could have chosen not to do that. They would even deign to go out and talk to the people, you know, or have those kind of VIP passes, like you said, I mean, he would, you know, a lot of them would just go back into their trailer or something into the seclusion of their own little kingdom. And Gordon doesn't do that. And God bless him for it. God, God bless him. And it was three weeks after 9-11 and a lot of top artists weren't even traveling then. Sure. He was one of the few that were still flying around from place to place or, or driving. And a lot of them weren't doing it because was such a tragedy, such a disaster that happened there in New York and Washington that they just weren't prepared to take the risk. But but he did. Yeah. He had a show to do. And that shows a lot of guts and a whole lot of dedication to an audience because as you said, you know, a lot of acts would have said, you know, forget it. We're gonna wait until things blow over a little bit. Well let's talk about Dreamland. I love this song because it is a look back at a romantic relationship and it's probably his relationship with Kathy Smith. But it's not bitter. There's no 
anger. There's no rage in there. And Lightfoot's a very gentle guy, but he's as human as the next man. And so he could be very bitter and very callous about it. And he's choosing not to be. So that's why I liked this song so much. Why did you want to talk about it tonight? Well, I was intrigued by the title for Start Dreamland. And then I read Nicholas Jennings book, the, the great biography that he wrote, where he devotes about half a page to this. And he says quite clearly, he thought it was about Kathy Smith. And I was intrigued by the relationship. And as you say, what, what got me in was, was the title and the fact that to me, it seemed to be a song of forgiveness and redemption and reparation and him saying to her, Hey, I'm here for you if you need help, but I'm not going to get hooked deeply into another romantic relationship with you because I believe at the time he was dating or seeing that other Kathy, Kathy Coonley, around about this same period. So he had this other thing going on with Kathy Coonley. He knew that Kathy Smith was either trying to get well or wasn't trying to get well. I'm not sure which, but he was just wanted to say to her, as you said, it wasn't bitter. Hey, look, let's forgive one another and move on, but I'm here to support you if need be, but I'm not going to get booked into your games again. Yeah, you've said it very well. And I think that Kathy Coonley, that may have been what Daylight Katie was about on the Endless Wire album. I'll talk about that in another episode, I'm sure. And now a word from the folks who help keep us on the air. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I think Kathy Smith had moved, I knew she had moved on. I think she was with Hoyt Axton at that point. And Hoyt was still fighting a cocaine addiction. So I don't know if she was trying to get sober at that point or not. Certainly she didn't come to a very happy end to her life. And she had a whole lot more misadventures with junk. But at that point, I don't know what she was trying to do. But I, th I think you're right. I mean, that's kind of where it was at. Yeah, yeah. What's the best setting for you to listen to this song? I mean, is it during a certain time of day? Is it when you're doing something? Is it when you're in a certain place? When I'm in the car, Mike, the distance we have to travel in this country is almost as big as your country. But to get from Canberra to Melbourne, it's about an eight-hour drive. To get from Canberra to Sydney, it's only three hours. But I used to go down to Melbourne a lot to see my parents when they were still around. And I've still got two young brothers there, so I go down there a lot until... I've got a six stack CD stacker in the car and I'll just fill it up with Gordon Lightfoot albums and that gets me all the way to Melbourne and I'll play them as loud as I like when I'm on my own and I'll play them all the way down and I'll play them all the way back. And if I have to stop wherever for, for lunch or to get petrol or something, I'll, uh, and I've, I think I'm going to be through all six albums, uh, I've always got a few more that I can change over. So I'll hear about eight Gordon Lightfoot albums. And the other time that I like to listen to him is very, very late at night when, um, you know, we're in bed and my wife's trying to watch something on Netflix or whatever that I don't want to watch. I'll put the cans on, you know, the noise cancelling headphones, and I'll just listen to Gordon Lightfoot. And that just, I, I find that such a serene and almost cathartic experience that I just 
sleep beautifully after that. How perfect. And I think that's actually a pretty good compliment. Is there a particular setting that you would listen to Dreamland in particular, or would it be in the context of the two situations you just said, either driving back and forth to someplace or getting ready to sleep? No, I'd listen to Dreamland at any time, you know, where I've got a, a CD or a USB drive plugged in or, or, you know, just on the headphones or wherever. There's no particular time or place. I just love the song. I love, like I said, all his songs. Dreamland would fit into that category where if I had Endless Wire in the car, then I'd just run through the whole set list of Endless Wire and Dreamland comes up. I think it's about the sixth track or something on that album. But if it's, uh, if it's something that I just particularly want to listen to, I'll just work my way through it and listen to it on the headphones. Gotcha. I think for me, if I was just going to listen to the one song, it would be sort of at the height of the day, late morning, maybe around noon, when you're feeling optimistic about the day, there's plenty of daylight left, your energy is high, and there's still time to enjoy the day because the song is really about moving on new beginnings and not being caught up in the past, but respecting the past, I guess would be a way of saying it. Yeah, look, that's, that's a nice way of saying it and, and a nice time to do it. I don't really have that luxury at the moment because um, my wife is still working from home because of COVID. And I like to play my music really, really loud, which is one of the many, many faults that I have. And um, she hates me playing it loud. And so, so do some of my band members, actually. So when I get the chance and everybody's left the house, I might put it on in the middle of the day and I'll turn it right up just to see how much I can annoy the neighbors and <laughs> knocking on the door. That's my test of whether I've got it too loud or not. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's too loud, you live too close. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> exactly. I, I, I tell them to move. They've got to move. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. You don't like the music? Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Good attitude to have. Well, the song is about an old lover who, as you say, Gary, does seem to want him back, but He's looking at the relationship. He's saying to this person, look, I am going to be there if you need me, but I'm not going there again. You know, I'm not going to be snarled up in this because they did have a very volatile and very public relationship. And I think it was on again, off again for many years. And then she eventually left and went to Hoyt Axton and to John Belushi and goodness knows who else. But the lyrics right away, he's talking about, you come to me in times of need when you can't find anyone. And then rainbow number one, what do you think he's talking about? Rainbow number one, is he talking about a number one record or? That's a really, really, really interesting question, isn't it? I've got two slightly different takes on that. First, I remember during his 1972 BBC famous concert series that was televised and everybody said that was when the peak of his powers, he was wearing this famous um, denim jacket and on the back of the jacket is a rainbow. Oh, okay. Now I only, I, I must be honest here. I only picked that up recently from the Nicholas Jennings biography. Nicholas Jennings makes that point, but he wasn't referring to the song Dreamland when he made the point. I think all he means by rainbow is that, hey, look, I know you're struggling, but life is not that bad. There is, after all, well, first of all, a rainbow out there. And even though you think you might think life's pretty bad at the moment, it's kind of like saying there's a silver lining to every cloud. 
So look at what nature has presented to you. You've got a rainbow out there. It might have been a really stormy day or whatever. We get them a lot here in Australia, and you see these beautiful rainbows set against the dark clouds or whatever. And I think he might be saying to her, look, just enjoy nature. Let's start from fairly humble beginnings. First of all, there's a rainbow that I think he would go on to say, or if I, if I were him, I'd say, but look, for you, there's no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. What I have for you is hope. There's a pot of hope. <laughs> and I hope that you find what you're looking for and you sober up, clean your act. That's how I interpret it. Well, it's interesting because Gordon, by that time, hadn't cleaned up his own act. Right. Um, I mean, he was still in alcoholism, uh, womanizing, and goodness knows what else. I mean, he hadn't really settled down. Yet he's offering hope to someone who's clearly worse off than he is, at least in some aspects. So I think it's another testament to the kind of generosity and the kind of generous spirit that he had and has. Absolutely. And I think that he still in the throes of alcoholism uh, back in, when was it, 1977 or 78? 78, yeah. 78, he released this song, Depth of Perception, about issues in life was so great at even a young age. I'm just amazed by the maturity with which he was able to work his way through these issues, still get them down, still talk to other people, still make sense of it, even though he was fighting his own demons at the same time. Yeah, and I think it shows a lot of empathy that he will have. Although he hasn't emerged from this tunnel yet, he's still got some empathy and some genuine agape love for uh, Kathy Smith at this time. We'll be right back to our conversation with Gary Luck about Dreamland, but first a word from a podcast partner or two. Stepping away from folk music for a second, I wanted to tell you about Newsly. It's an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the web has become listenable. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing the narration right away. And they have podcasts as well, trending podcasts from over 40 countries, including, of course, Carefree Highway Revisited. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the show notes and use promo code CHR2022 to receive a one-month free premium subscription. That's www.newsly.me. We can see life through the gutter then till it caused my heart to break. And seeing life through the gutter sounds like either you're drunk and you're lying in the gutter, or it's like the worst possible lifestyle that he's had. And then maybe he's talking about that he came from very humble beginnings, which he did. But seeing a life through the gutter, is he talking about the gutter outside of a bar, or is he talking about his own background? I think he's using it as a metaphor for, um, and uh, yes, he's had that experience, and she's had that experience as well. And uh, they must have seen some terrible things as they moved around various places. But I think he's using it as a metaphor for how difficult life can become and how hard it can become, hence his reference to toil, when you're down in the depths of some sort of addiction and you're seeing life through that addiction. Your, your whole view of life is kind of jaundiced 
by that addiction. And it's kind of like you might as well be down in the gutter trying to recover from alcoholism or from some drug overdose or something. And that's how hard life can become. Well, it may be also that they were addicted to each other uh, for a time. And Bob Dylan, whom we've quoted already, once said one of the best quotations I've ever heard. He said, you can't be wise and in love at the same time. And I, I believe it. <laughs> and so the gutter being the throes of something you just can't get away from. You mentioned the idea of toil in dreamland. Toil implies that it's this really hard, nitty gritty work. And maybe the relationship was just too much work to keep it together, that there wasn't enough of a payoff in terms of love or security or support or any of the things that you're supposed to get out of a devoted relationship. He did say there's too much love to take. What do you think he means by that? Very mysterious line there. It is a very mysterious line, Mike, and I, I, I don't know. Uh, too much love to take. You know, maybe she's just throwing all this stuff at him. As you said earlier, they had a very volatile, tempestuous affair. It went on for years and years and years. It was on again, off again, and maybe he just couldn't take it any longer. He wanted to say to her, I just can't take this any longer. Besides which, as we discussed earlier, he was having this maybe in this other relationship with the, the other Kathy as well, or that was just beginning. And it was just so hard and too much toil in dreamland, too much love to take. You know, I've got all the fans out there that they love me. You say you love me. Kathy Coonley says she loves me. I just really can't handle There's just too much going on. You know, I know from some people who, who have been addicted to various substances over the years that they all say that it's really, really hard work trying to maintain this charade that everything's fine, everything's okay, and you're dealing with drugs or you're dealing with alcoholism, but you're trying to pretend to people that I can still do my job and I can still maintain this relationship and everything is going to be fine when in fact your whole world, certainly inside your head, is falling apart. Even if you can't feel it, yeah. you're trying to keep all the balls in the air when you've got an addiction to a substance or to a habit or to a person. Your ability to cope with all of that is going to deteriorate because it is just too stressful. But I like the idea of there's too much love vis-a-vis -vis the idea that, okay, I've now I got to deal with the love of the fans because they had huge expectations of him by this time. I mean, he'd done Summertime Dream. He'd done Cold on the Shoulder. He'd done Sundown. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this record, Endless Wire, is a lot of music critics have said this is where the downward slide begins. And so maybe things were taking a toll on him for all of the work that he put into his music and trying to keep this muse going with this woman. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think I think that's a that's a really great summary of where he was at at that time in his life and in his relationship with these other women. Sometimes I remember when we were all dressed up in style. I don't recall the gist of it all, but you drove the young men wild. And that definitely made him go crazy with jealousy. There's a story in the Jennings book of him going to sing or, or of her going to sing on somebody else's record and somebody who was a competitor of Lightfoot. I can't remember the name now, but I believe it was another Canadian singer and yeah. He finds out about it and just absolutely goes nuts and just saying, how could you do this? You know, you're working for the competition. This is treachery and all those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It, 
shows that Gordon was very jealous or could be very jealous. And after all, isn't that what sundown was all about? I can see her lying back in her satin dress and all that. Uh, look, I believe it was. And he was very, very, very jealous. We know that. I mean, Jennings says that. I mean, he says that himself. He admits to being very, very jealous. He admits that he was drinking a lot of the time. He admits that he was attracted to other women. He, he said, I think he had a, a very, very profound interest in the opposite sex. When he says that, I don't recall the gist of it all. I mean, right up front, he says, look, we had some good times together. I, I remember when we were all dressed up in style. He remembers that, the good times. So he, he acknowledges that. But then he says, I don't recall the gist of it all. And I, I've got to say, I think gist is one of my favorite words. You never hear it much these days, Mike. And I think Gordon Lightfoot is the only guy I've ever heard use that word in a song. And I think he's actually used it twice in two different songs. I forget what the other one is, but I think gist is just such a fantastic word. And to put that in a song is just great. But then you drove the young men wild. We know that Kathy Smith was a notorious flirt. She'd probably do anything if she was high or drunk or whatever. And I'd understand that the crux of sundown happened when she came home late one night. She'd been out partying and drinking with the boys, whoever the boys were. Yeah. And he'd been trying to write this song and he'd been drinking and he was as jealous as hell, wondering where she'd been. And they had a bit of a fight. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the end of the relationship at that point. And he took himself, as I understand it, out into the Canadian countryside to try and finish this album. And he witnessed all these magnificent sunsets. So that kind of led to sundown because mm -hmm. he was seeing all these magnificent sunsets. And maybe, I don't know, he witnessed something similar. When he was writing Dreamland, getting back to the topic, you know, as he was writing, maybe there was this rainbow. I don't know. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That you know, he saw the rainbow as he's going out on one of his canoeing trips that he used to yeah. to go and clear his head. So yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good observation. You could wrap me around your finger till it caused my heart to break. Again, it comes back to what man in love hasn't been manipulated in some way by the woman of his affections. And she may not have done it deliberately, but she has a power over him when he's in love with her that she may not know, but it's an enormous grip and an enormous grasp that she has on him. Oh, definitely. And, you know, getting back to that quote that you mentioned from Dylan earlier, I think that's rather pertinent in here. And he, he you know, what's the other one? I mean, the simple one is sort of love is blind, isn't it? So he was kind of caught up in this vortex of her charm but she was very very manipulative like, yeah. like i think most addicts are they'll do whatever they need to do to get their next hit they'll say whatever they need to say to get their next drink or whatever and she was manipulating him and, I, and he just eventually came around to realizing that thinking and saying well look i know what you're doing here i'm not going to get sucked in again it's all over. I, I still love you. I still respect you. I still care for you. I hope you get well, but it's time to move on. And the way that I think he gives this away, and I don't even know if this was conscious while he was writing it, but he's still speaking in the past tense when yeah. he gets around to the tagline, there was too much love in dreamland, or there was too much toil in dreamland. Not there is, because that seems like it might be leaving the door open for something else to happen. 
he's realizing he's not going back across that bridge. That bridge is burned. Yeah, absolutely. No, great point, Mike. We'll be back next week with the rest of our interview with Gary Luck about Dreamland from the Endless Wire album. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.